Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Okay, I got a question for you right out of the gate. And don't just, don't just let this pass. Like, like, think about it for just a minute. What's your greatest regret? Like, if, if I gave you a, a sheet of paper and a pen or pencil and said, hey, write, write down your regrets in life. I'm going to guess you could come up with a list without a, a whole lot of prompting. Like, if you thought about it for a few moments, if you, if you processed it, if you were honest, you'd probably be able to track and come up with some regrets. Something you did or something that you didn't do, words that you said or words that you should have said. There's common regrets, and, and oftentimes we, we use the word if only in front of them. <clears throat> Doesn't take a whole lot of time to search the internet and right away you, 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 you look out there for greatest regret and you'll find article after article after blog post after, after social media post where people put out there what they've regretted in life. As I read them, there was like some common themes where people said, if only I had, if only I'd been more loving, if only I'd been a better spouse or parent or child, if only I'd not spent so much time at work, if only I'd taken more risks, if only I'd, I'd lived my own dream, <clears throat> if only I'd found work that was meaningful, if only I'd taken better care of myself, if only I had done more for others. And what happens when we, when we talk about this, this idea, if, if only I had, it causes us to recognize that for some of us, we live a life that's largely focused on our regrets. Like the way that we think, the way that we act, whether we acknowledge it or not, we live a life, and, and, and think about this for a moment, a life focused on regret. And we allow that to be something that defines us. We allow that to be something that, that propels our life in a certain direction or holds us back maybe from things that we could do. And when we start thinking about these things, when we, when we use that phrase, if only, it becomes really alive inside of us. If only I hadn't burned that bridge. If only I had spoken up. If only I'd been a better spouse. If only I spent more time with my family. If only I hadn't stayed in my comfort zone. <laughs> If only I'd said, I love you. If only I'd applied to that school. If only I'd, I'd made the most of every day. If only I'd been a better friend. Like, and, I, and I hesitated to kind of read, read through that because it's a little bit of a downer when you start going through those lists. But the reality is when you think about it, for many of us and for so many people outside of this room, that's a reality for us. It's somewhere in our lives. And it, it might not be our whole life, but it might be this little corner, this little portion of our life. There is something that's defined in us or for us or maybe all of our existence by these regrets that we have. And we live a life that is focused on our regrets. Look, I, I've made plenty of choices that I wish that I had done differently. Anybody else? Right, things that I look back and I go, ah, I wish I hadn't said that or I wish, I wish I'd done that differently. And if we're not careful, our regrets will begin to define us and we'll focus on them to our own detriment. Look, I interact with a lot of people who, who talk about their regrets in life and there's some characteristics that I think we can begin to see. Three things I wanna show you that when your life is focused on your regrets, let's run through these things real quick. This, this shows up or it becomes illuminated in our lives. Kind of these three things, or these are things 
that, that you say in this process. And one of the things that we think, when I focus on my regrets, number one, when I focus on my regrets, my life is all about me. And, and you're going to see this as we look at scripture today. When I'm focusing on my regrets, I take the spotlight and instead of shining it outward in my life, I shine it inward in my life. And my whole focus becomes about me. My life becomes about me. And the reality is, isn't that so much of our society where our life is focused on us, what I want, what I need. My life is focused on me. And for many of us, what happens is we begin to focus on our regrets. It's usually all about me, what I do not have, or what I wish I had, or what somebody else has. And the truth is, the more I focus internally and on me, the quicker I become miserable. Anybody else? <laughs> right, there's this moment where when my focus is all internal, I miss out on what could happen externally. And look, no one's blaming you. Like, like we listen and we live in a world where the focus is, for so many of us, it's all about you. It's all about me. Now, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not one to knock social media. I use social media. I, I think it's a great tool. It is a powerful means of influence and communication in our time that I think is unparalleled for communicating the gospel to people. Like we, we hear about it every week, how God is using social media and, and online things to, to change people's lives. But the reality is there's this unintended consequence of how much we post and how much we look that at some point we can allow social media to become a barometer of our lives. We measure our value, we measure our worth by how many likes or comments we get. And the other thing that's real dangerous is I begin, especially in the places of my regret, to compare my life to your online life. And I see what other people have, and I begin to make that the gauge of whether I've been effective or successful or not. Anybody? <laughs> right, I, I hear a mentor of mine, and I've said this before, years ago he told me, comparison is quicksand. When you get caught in that thing, if you let yourself get caught in that comparison trap, it will just suck you in and it is so difficult to get out of there. And this leads to another thing that I think when you're in that moment, when, you, when you're constantly looking at and comparing other people's lives, one of the things that that highlights when the focus in the midst of my regrets is all about me is it focuses the unmet expectations in my life. The things, the things that I wish I had. The things that I wish it had gone this way. How many of you, your life is in a place where all your dreams have come true? Very few of us. I said that in the last service, and I saw one life, wife look at her husband like, you better raise your hand. <laughs> that dude's living a nightmare right now. It's like, yeah, your dreams did not come true. So in that moment, right, our, our, our dreams have not all come true. I'm going to guess for all of us, at some point, we've, we've hit that moment where we went, yeah, I thought it'd be different. I didn't think this was going to go like this. My idealism or my, my initial ideas or my thoughts had this playing out a little differently from what it is right now. Let, let me encourage those of you who are, are, are students or maybe you're just kind of starting out in life. I'm in this, this kind of unique, like, like midlife season. You know, like I, I like to think of myself still, like in my mind, I'm still the guy that came here 20 years ago. Much thinner, brown hair, strikingly handsome. Now I look in the mirror and I'm like, not quite as thin, kind of gray hair, still strikingly handsome, right? I mean, you, you have those, 
moments, right, where you go. But the reality is, like, I look back at some of the things that I thought had value. I look back at some of the things that I thought were important. I look back at when I was in high school or when I was in college, who I thought I wanted to be like, and I realize I I had my perspective a little skewed. I wasn't thinking of things quite right. There were things I wanted to gauge my effectiveness by that are things that just don't last. Anybody? And so this is like a, a, a healthy thing to go, look, am I wrestling? Have my regrets caused me to have these, these expectations in my life that are unhealthy or unmet? And so many times, we not only become concerned about things that don't matter, we get ourselves all worked up about things that just aren't real. Earlier this week, there was, a, there was a phone call made to the Jordan, Minnesota Police Department. And somebody frantically called, and it was, it was bitter cold that day. And they called the police department and said, somebody needs to help this man. There is a man, he's standing outside, he has this kind of deranged, glazed look in his eye, he's just standing there, he's not moving, giving a blank stare, and he's not wearing a coat, and he's just standing outside holding a pillow, and I'm very concerned about him. And so the police responded. When they got there, what they found was a cardboard cutout of a guy named Michael Lindell, who is the founder and inventor of something called My Pillow. <laughs> it wasn't real. But somebody saw something, got themselves all worked up about it, and freaked out. We do that all the time, where we see something and we think it's real, and we don't, we don't give it enough thought to realize, maybe that's not going to last. Maybe that's not going to matter. Maybe there's not any real life in that. But the reason that that happens to me so many times is because my focus has become so inward focused that I fail to see what's outside of me. Does that make sense? So the first thing is I, I've got to realize when, when I focus on my regrets, I make my life all about me. The second thing that happens when I focus on my regrets is that my future is fixed by my past. Now, that word fixed is interesting there because it could mean one of two things. And some of us think that somehow we repair our future by our past when the truth is when I say fixed, I don't mean repair. I mean constrained. I mean limited. When all I'm thinking about is my regrets, I keep my future from moving forward because I've fixed it to, I've limited it by, I've constrained my future because of my past. And some of you can relate to this. Because of regrets in your life, you've stopped trusting or you've stopped believing or you've limited what your life can look like. And you say, I'm not doing that again. I ain't letting that happen again. Look, we're all going to have regrets. Like at some point, we are going to have regrets in our life. But we have to choose what we're going to do with those things. Because how we respond to them, and, and you need to respond to them in one way or another because they're real, but how you respond will determine what happens as you move forward in your life. Let, let me use it like kind of as an analogy. Let's, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm you, I'm me, I'm, I'm a person who has some regrets and where you are out here, outside this, this platform, that's where real life is. That's where real living is. And I want to be able to put myself in a place where I can position myself to live outside of my regrets. And I can do this in one of two ways because those regrets become like building blocks, okay? And I can either take them and let them be things that I learn from and then I stand upon that. Have any of you ever learned from your mistakes? 
You hope so, right? So I regret that, but here's what I think I learned from that. Like, it can either be something that you build as a foundation, and then it becomes building blocks that you can stand on, or what you can do is you can take your regrets, and instead you can build them like a wall that then separates you from where real life is. Does that make sense? Do you know what one of my regrets is? How many times in a sermon I say, does that make sense? (laughs) Like this week, we were having a conversation at home, and I was communicating something, and one of my kids looked at me and goes, does that make sense? (laughs) Guess who's changing the will this week? (laughs) But you get where I'm going with this, right? Your regrets either become building blocks that can become a foundation that you stand more firm in your life, or they can be a wall that you build to separate you from where real life is. That makes sense, right? (laughs) Okay, and here's what happens for many of us. Some of us don't just build a wall. We then start building them all the way around us. It doesn't become a wall. It becomes a prison. And it might not be in your whole life, but there's little parts of your life where you've had some regrets where where you you build a cell around yourself and you lock yourself in and you're limited in how you can respond because of the regrets in your life. When I focus on my regrets, then then my life is all about me. That's miserable. When I focus on my regrets, I, I think that my future is fixed to my past, that it's limited by, it's constrained by, but the reality is there's something more to this. Number three, just, just to hit this here, when I focus on my regrets, number three, many of us say there's no hope for this. There's, there's, there's no hope for this. I mean, I, I hear this in people's voices. Oh, I've tried it, but it's not gonna work. Or I'd like for things to be different. And we start to lose hope spiritually, personally, relationally, occupationally, eternally, we start to lose hope in those places. I might as well accept it. There's no hope for me. Like as a pastor, you interact with all kinds of people and sometimes what I hear people say is because of past sexual sin or because of bad business decisions or because of a relationship that I regret or because of an addiction that I couldn't master or because of words that can't be unsaid or because of that, that, that place where I just, I didn't reconcile and now that door's been closed or maybe even for some of us, I didn't reconcile and now that person has, has passed away. For some of us wishing that we'd stood up for ourselves or others, it puts us in a place where we go, if only I had done that differently, but now there's no hope. Now there's nothing that can be done. It's kind of a a tough place to be when we stop and think about what life is like when we focus on our regrets. Look, if if we did just a quick survey, we'd, we'd quickly live a life that's focused on regrets if that was all we saw. Because regrets, when, when we're focused in that place, it's a limiting and it's a dangerous place for us to be. So what do you do instead? Look, I, I feel like I don't have a, a whole lot for you today. A, a lot of times, and, it, and if, you've, if you've been here, you've heard me preach before, you know this. I, I, I like to try to communicate in a way that's, 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 that's keeping people's attention. And I, I wanted this sermon to be kind of cute and comprehensive, right? You know, that's the, that's the idea. And and yet I've kind of come to a place where there's times where I just, I think I've learned the, the leading of the Holy Spirit at times when God wants to do something just a little bit different. If you're a guest here today, we're, we're, we're gonna take a little bit more of a, a direct route than we sometimes take. 
But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to interact with you, whether you're in this room or you're in auditorium two or you're watching this on a screen somewhere. As a pastor, let's, let's talk about this idea. How do I get past, how do I live a life without regrets? If there was anybody in the Bible who could have regrets, wasn't it the Apostle Paul? I mean, if, if you don't know his background or his story, before God got a hold of his life, before he chose to make things right with God, he did some things that at, at best were regrettable. Look at this, Acts chapter eight, verse one. This story is being told right after the first Christian died for their faith. A guy named Stephen was the first Christian martyr, and we read this, that Saul, now, now this is Acts chapter eight, verse one, Saul was Paul's name before he took on the mission to serve God. Saul approved of their killing Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That's quite a description, isn't it? Do you think he regretted that? Because some of these people were friends of now the people who were his friends. He, he was responsible not only for people to go to prison, but I'm sure there were people who were executed, who lost their lives because things that Paul did. And all along, he was so wrong about Jesus, so much so that if you know the story in Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to Paul, he's Saul still at this point, and when Jesus appears to him, he asks him a question that defines his identity. Jesus asks him a question that says, this is who you are to me, and here's what he says. Acts chapter nine, verse four. Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is that what you wanna hear Jesus say to you? <laughs> why are you the one who's against me? That's who he was. If anybody had regrets, spiritually, personally, choices and actions, had to be Paul. And yet, when you get to Acts chapter 20, that's not what you hear. I love Acts chapter 20. It's this, it's this interesting story, and we'll unpack it a little bit more in the next couple of weeks. But Paul's on a journey. He's way way west from Israel and Jerusalem. He's out in what today would be modern-day Greece and Turkey. He's out in that part of the world. And where he is out there, it's time for him to go back to the Holy Land, go back to Israel, go back to the city of Jerusalem. And he wants to get there in time for a feast, for a festival that's called Pentecost, a big celebration of the Jewish people. We read about it in Acts chapter two. So he's trying to get back in time for Pentecost. So he's looking at a calendar, he's thinking through how long it's gonna take him, and he knows he's got a tight time frame that he's gotta work with. So when you read Acts chapter 20, what you hear is he leaves where he's at, and I won't, I won't take you through all the cities, but if you just figure he's starting to move back East as he heads back to Jerusalem, and as he heads back there, he knows he's going to sail right past Ephesus. Do you remember Ephesus? <laughs> like, we've talked about Ephesus for, for most of the year so far. Ephesus was a city where Paul started a church. He stayed there longer than any other church that he pastored and, and was, was the founder of. He loved those people, and now he's got to go right past them. And you've got to guess that he wants to stop, right? 
You got to guess, those are, those are his friends. That's, that's like his family. I'm sure he wants to stop, but he knows himself well enough to know, I better not go in there because I'll stay too long. Have you ever been having to go somewhere, you got a bit of a tight timetable, you got a deadline, you got to get somewhere, and you're driving, and as you drive, you go past your favorite store, and you think to yourself, oh, there's Hobby Lobby, or whatever, right? I mean, it's, it's not my favorite store, but you know, there's those places, and you're like, oh, there it is. And you think to yourself, I bet I could run in there real quick. There's no such thing as real quick, right? No one has ever gone into Costco real quick, right? I mean, you just... You don't do that or wherever it is for you, right? And so Paul knows this. He's like, I can't stop in Ephesus real quick. It'll be too long. But I love those people. About 30 miles south of Ephesus, though, there's a port where he had to stop and spend a few days. And so he sends a message back to the people in Ephesus. And he says to them, hey, I'm going to be here for a few days. Why don't you come and visit me? So it takes a messenger a day or two to get up to Ephesus, take the message. Then it takes the elders, the leaders, the pastors, the, the deacons, the board, the, 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 the leadership of the church in Ephesus, then come and visit with Paul in this city about 30 miles south of there. And when they're together, what you read in Acts chapter 20 is this intimate communication between a pastor and the leaders that he loves. It's, it's vintage Paul, and he is vulnerable, and he is open, and he is honest, and it's this beautiful, and we'll dig into a little bit more in the next couple of weeks as we look at this passage, but when you look at what Paul says to these people that he loves, the centerpiece of everything he communicates, right at the heart of it, is Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Look at what he says here. He says, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, from the English Standard Version, Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Go back and see what he said there. Do you see where he said, if only I may finish? What a unique use of those two words. Because usually when I say, if only, I'm saying, if only I had, or if only I hadn't. But this is a guy who wants to live life without regrets. Could he have them? Absolutely he could, but he's decided not to live it that way. So instead of saying, if only I had, he says, if only I can. Instead of saying, if only that hadn't happened, he says, if only this can happen. If only I can live my life so that I can accomplish what God has called me to do, that I can tell people about his grace. He uses it so interesting there. It's not an if only I had, it's an if only I can. It's not an if only about the past, it's an if only about the future. And some of you, if you're gonna deal with the regrets in your life, it has to start right here. What if we changed our if only? What if we shifted it? What if we changed our if only from if only I had to if only I can? Not if only the past was different, but what if only I can make the future different? What if only I can lead in a different way? And look, for some of you, and this will be freeing because so many of your regrets have you fixed in the past. What if you changed your perspective because a life without regret starts today, not yesterday? Because some of you are waiting to start your life yesterday. It don't work that way, <laughs> right? You start your life today. And a life without regret starts by saying, if only I can, 
not if only I had. And that's a shift that some of us so clearly need to make. So let me show you real quick from the example of Paul in this verse what a life without regret looks like. What he says here is powerful to us. I want to talk about living a life without regret. And here's how we're going to do it. If you remember those three things we've already looked at when we focus on a life with regret, what if we were to live a life without regret? Well, it's the same three things. It's just they're turned around. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. And Paul shows us to this in, in Acts 20, 24. Number one, Paul shows us my life is so much bigger than me. My life is so much bigger than me. He starts out by saying that I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. He's offering a little corrective here. He's saying, look, I, I, I could focus on myself. I could make my life all about little old me, but it's so much bigger than me. What God wants to do in my life, how he wants to work, it's so much larger than that. If you go back and read Acts 20 for yourself, one of the things that you'll find is he starts in verse 22 and he talks about the fact that he knows that wherever he's going from here on out, it's not going to be easy. He tells them, the Holy Spirit is showing me that everywhere I go, I'm going to have persecution and I'm going to have hardship and that prison awaits me. He says, but I'm going to keep going because my life's not about me. It's about a bigger purpose. That even in spite of my regrets or even in spite of what I'm going to face, I can't let that become what determines what I do because my life is so much bigger than me. Can I, can I encourage you with something? I just want to throw some scriptures your way. And for some of you, especially if you're wrestling with regret, you might want to write some of these scriptures down. One of the things that's key for you to know is that your life is bigger than your past. Your life is, is so much bigger than your past. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, now there's something to put on your business card, isn't it? He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. And have you ever felt like maybe you were the worst of sinners? That you were going to give Paul a run for his money? Verse 16, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, do I have regrets? You better believe I do. But I also believe there's a God who can use the regrettable actions in my life and use them for his glory because my life is so much bigger than me. My life is bigger than my past. And also know this, my life is bigger than my expectations. For some of you, that's, that's a challenge, living within the expectations that others have put on you or you've put on yourself or society has put on you or things you've heard growing up or, or things that your boss has told you or whatever that might be. Listen to how Paul deals with this. This is powerful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So many times when I'm trying to please others, 
that's, that's when my regrets roll in. And that's when my, my mind gets focused on me instead of things around me. And Paul says, look, I've had to come to terms with this. Life's bigger than me. It's, it's not really about me. It's about what God wants to do in me and what he wants to do through me. And if I'll capture that, then I'll realize I'm not, pro- I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to please God. That's who I want to please. He says, my life's bigger than my expectations. My life is bigger than my past. And can I encourage you with something? Your life is bigger than your challenges. Because I love what Paul says here. He says, look, I know that I'm walking into a death trap. I feel like they're going to throw me in prison. In fact, he even says to these guys, these Ephesian leaders, he says, hey, just for the record, we're never going to see each other again. This wasn't a bad breakup. This was just honesty, right? (laughs) Paul was saying, look, odds are this is it. You'll, You'll never see this face again. But the truth is I'm okay with that. Because I know that my life is not mine and that God's doing something bigger. Can I encourage you, if if you're in a place in your life where so much of your focus has turned inward instead of outward, and you know that your regrets have caused you to be stuck in your own little world instead of recognizing that God is so much bigger, do something tangible to turn it outside of yourself and to someone else. Serve someone else. Make things right with someone else. Show some gratitude. And then capture this second thing. First thing, your life is so much bigger than you. Number two, know this. In a life that's lived without regrets, we know this. My future is found in my calling. My future is not fixed. It's not limited. It's not constrained by my past. It's found in the calling that God has given to me. And let me just be honest with you. Many of you, when we use the word calling, you think that's something Chad has. The pastor has a calling. You know, you have a calling on your life as well. God has given you a purpose. We're we're gonna read a passage of scripture here in a moment that should just light you up when we read it because he's created you to do things for him. He's created you with a purpose. No matter what season of life you're in, whether you're in a season of preparation, whether you're in a season of work, whether you're in a season of rest, even if you feel like you're in a season where you've already done what you were supposed to do, the reality is he has a purpose for you. And understand this, your future is not fixed by your past. It's found in the calling that he's given to you. That's why Paul says, look, this is not about my life. He says, if only I can, not if only I had, but if only I can, that I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Let, let me, if, if you'll indulge me for a moment, let's go to Philippians chapter three because there's a passage of scripture there that's really helpful. Philippians chapter three, verse seven. It says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Do any of you... Anybody else ever read Paul and kind of go, man, I don't have it together like him? Anybody else? Right, I love that purpose that he has there. I don't feel that same fire every day. That's why verse 12 is really good because he says this, not that I have already obtained all this 
or have already arrived at my goal. You know that if he says that, that means somewhere he's had to process that. I'm not there yet. There's times when my regrets come in. There's times when I struggle. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Some, if, you, if you're wrestling with regrets, your homework is memorize verses 13 and 14 before you leave the parking lot. <laughs> forgetting what is behind. Like, like that's a powerful thing. I've got to forget what is behind. That means that at some point, I've got to be willing to say, I've got to move past that thing. And you know what comes with forgetting sometimes is forgiveness. It's being willing to say, look, I've got to let that person go. I've got to let that thing go. I've got to be willing to show forgiveness in this. And you know who is usually the most tricky person to forgive? The one that's looking at you in the mirror, right? He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. That sounds like it's work, doesn't it? But it's perseverance. It's working through those regrets. I do what it takes. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can I encourage you? Some of you may need to do something today about repairing your regrets from yesterday. That, that you take that forgiveness and you move past that and you press on ahead. Last week, we, we kind of had a, an interesting story that we told a passage of scripture in a message called uh, Falling Asleep in Church. Anybody remember that? I can tell some of you weren't here. <laughs> and, uh, we and I told you they would tie together, right? Because we talked about how for some of us, we, we tend to fall asleep in our window. Like the place where God has put us or called us, we find ourselves asleep in that place instead of awake and active. And for many of us, that's, that's you look back and that's your regret. I wish that I had been more aware. I wish that I had been more deliberate. I wish that I had been this in that moment when instead I fell asleep. There's a story in the news recently about a town in Spain. It's called Uesca. And in this town, about four o'clock in the morning, these phone calls started coming into the local police department because what happened is in the town center, there was a flock of 1,300 sheep that had gotten loose. And what had happened was these sheep were outside of the city and they were in the process of being moved to a different like grazing area out kind of this very rural area. And there was a guy who was supposed to be watching them. But in the midst of this, these sheep had gotten loose and they did something really bad. <laughs> I know it's cheesy, but you laugh every time. <laughs> You laugh every time. And what they had done is they had gotten in the middle of the city and they were just wreaking havoc and they were leaving a mess and people are calling. And what they finally figured out is there was this one guy, this shepherd who was supposed to watch them and he had fallen asleep. Do you know what kind of a shepherd he was? He was a, anybody? Badge. I'm so proud. Yes. Yes, right? Now we're all cheesy. So what happened was the police go, they find the guy, they wake him up. 
and he goes back and he has to help them because it's his responsibility, right? He knows that he did a bad thing. He knows that he fell asleep. I'm sure he's going to regret that. I'm sure he's going to get written up. He might even lose his job. But as a result, he knows I'm the only shepherd those sheep have. So I have a responsibility not to stay here in my regret. I got to get into town. I got to get this figured out. I got to get these sheep back in a place where we can move forward and I've got to clean this thing up. And that's what they did. Now, here's the deal. Being a shepherd was his calling. And you've been called to shepherd something. But some of you have fallen asleep on, on the watch. And then you wake up and you regret that you fell asleep and you see what a mess has happened because the flock you were supposed to tend has gotten loose and they've done something really, help me out, bad, right? What you can't do is just sit there and go, oh, what a mess. This is such a shame. I'm just going to sit here in my regrets. Look, God has called you, even if there's a regrettable situation, to still be that shepherd. Does that make sense? Because you're the only shepherd that your kids have. And you may be the only shepherd who can do what you can do in your family and in your church and in your workplace and in your school. And God has called you to lead in your community. And wherever it is that he's put you, he's called you to shepherd something. And even if you fell asleep in the midst of your calling, you don't just sit there and stay there. You get up and you shepherd what God has called you to do. Does that make sense? Look, if you want to live a life without regret, then you've got to realize that your future is secure in the calling that God has given to you. And he will help you as you move through that, which takes us to the third thing. And for some of you, this is the pep talk you need today. Number three, instead of saying there is no hope in this, number three, there is hope because of grace. Hallelujah. Yeah. I... I know it's not everybody, but I guarantee you there's somebody that your life has been paralyzed by your regret. And you've looked at that marriage or you've looked at that job or you've looked at your life and you've said, God, I don't know how you can do anything with this. And vocationally or relationally or spiritually or maybe even eternally, you've lost hope. Can I tell you, there is hope because of grace. I could give you a pep talk. But how about I let Paul do it? Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. He writes, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works or your good deeds, not because of your mistakes or your regrets, not because you were so cool that God had to do it, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork if we do not have regrets. Is that what it says? <laughs> no, it says you are God's handiwork, no matter who you are, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you've lost hope, know this. The hope isn't found in you. It's found in grace. And I can tell you already, God has called you to a great purpose in your life. If Paul's pep talk didn't help you, let me give you one from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61, he's writing about Jesus, and he says this, verse three, that Jesus will provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, 
the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's a good promise, isn't it? That's a, that's a good promise, isn't it? That's a good promise, isn't it? Some of you need to hear a sermon on sleeping in church. You know what you do with a good promise? You believe it. But some of you have heard that good promise so many times in your life that you have a hard time believing it. You know what ashes are, right? They're what's left over when everything's been destroyed. And Isaiah has the audacity to give you a pep talk that says that your ashes can be traded in for beauty. And some of you have heard it, but you're having a really hard time believing it. A while ago, I had a friend tell me about this book. I said, man, you really need to read this book. And then I started reading about, about this book and had other people say, you really need to read this book. It's a really good book. And I heard the guy interviewed on a podcast that wrote the book and I heard all this stuff and people were like, this is a really great book. You need to read this book. And I think because everybody was telling me how good the book was, I said to myself, I don't need to read it. Anybody? <laughs> that little kind of rebellious side of you? I bet it can't be that good. And for years, and I actually, I have the book on my shelf at home for years. And I thought to myself, I bet it's not as good as they say it is. I bet that book's not that good. A couple weeks ago, I picked it up. I started reading it, and I read it in short order. You know why? Because it's really good. <laughs> like, it helped me where I was at. And I said to myself, stubborn Chad, why did you wait so long to believe what people told you about how good this was? Some of you have heard this passage, that he can take your mourning and turn it into dancing, that he can take what seems like despair and put praise on your lips, that he can take what seems to be destroyed in ashes, and he can actually make it beautiful, and you've said, I bet that's a good promise. Can you just read it for yourself? And can you put it in your own life, that where you have regrets, Jesus came to be the God who gives you hope? And if you don't like Paul's pep talk, and if you don't like Isaiah's pep talk, let me help you see it more clearly. Because you might go, how do you get there? Because Luke made sure in Acts chapter 20 to write this for you. Because I want you to see it clearly. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Acts 20, 20. I, I didn't think of that until first service. That'll help you see it more clearly, won't it? <laughs> Acts 20, 20. You know, Paul says, that I'm not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must, watch this, turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, Chad, how do I, how do I shift my if only? How do I take it from if only I had to if only I can? How do I make this move from past to future? You make that move from past to future by in the present saying, I'm gonna to turn to God in repentance and have faith in my Lord Jesus Christ. At some point, the only way you're gonna be able to deal with those regrets is to get rid of them and give them to him. And when you come to him in repentance, what repentance means is, Lord, I realize that this is something that I don't want in my life anymore, so I'm gonna give it to you and I'm gonna go in the other direction from that thing. 
from past to future, from what's wrong to what's right, and then I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that's, that's how you can live a life without regrets. If you know me, when I, when I communicate, I really like to, if possible, kind of, kind of bring it into the end and, and have, have something, tell some kind of story or do something that, 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 that wakes you back up <laughs> and, uh, and, and really kind of inspires and drives the point home. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me about this message. Chad, what Calvary needs is not a great story. What Calvary needs is time with me. And so in just a moment, I, actually, I'm going to invite the worship team to come at this time. And we're going to sing a song here in just a moment. And I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to stand. And when we sing this song, I'm going to invite you. And I know it won't be all of you, but I, I'm sure it needs to be some of you. When, when I pray, then I'm going to invite you to come. And if you have regrets in your life, You'd say, God, I need to deal with those regrets today. I don't, I don't want to carry them anymore. I want to shift from if only had to if only I can. Then I'm going to invite you to come and find a place to kneel. Like, I'm going to encourage you to get into a position of humility if you can. And kneel here at this altar and say, God, I bring my regrets to you. They might be things that seem small to you. Or they might be things that are huge. It doesn't matter, but for some of you, the Holy Spirit, there's, there's something that's going on in your life. Like it's stirring inside of you right now. Maybe you're here in this room. Maybe you're in Auditorium 2. Wherever you are, you, you go to the front of that room and find a place to kneel. If you're watching online or you're watching this on TV, kneel right where you are for a moment and take this moment and go, God, there are these regrets in my life, and I don't want to be fixed to my past anymore. I want to move forward in the future calling. I want to shepherd what you've called me to shepherd. I want to find the hope that's in you. Here's, here's what I believe. And can you go ahead and stand with me if you would, please? Some of you say, well, that's good. And this has helped me to think about my regrets. And as we sing this, I hope you will kind of process what the Spirit might be speaking to you. But some of you are like, I, I can deal with those regrets right here in my seat. That might be true, but here's what I know. I know that so many times a spiritual transformation requires a physical response. Do you know why they call it a step of faith? Because you have to take a step. And for some of you, if you want to deal with these regrets today, I want to encourage you to step out of your seat. I know it's a big room, but come and stand here, kneel here, and take a moment and say, we're going to pray together in just a moment. God, I give my regrets to you. For some of you, this might be something kind of new, and you're, you're, kind, of, you're kind of like, man, I, I don't know if I want to do this. There's a, there's a little fear that's in there. Look, we're not going to do anything weird. We're just going to pray together in just a moment. But if you say, God, today I need to give you those regrets, don't let fear hold you back. And for some of you, you're going to go, um, well, what are people going to think? They're, they're gonna, they're, people are going to watch me walk down there, and they're going to think, what are, what, are, what are their regrets? What are they hiding? What's their secrets? What do they need to repent of? And the reality is, don't worry about them thinking. They're going to miss out on what's happening, and then they're going to regret that later. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, just, okay? And here's the deal. For some of you, you're, you're looking at your watch, and you're like, eh, I'm supposed to meet so-and-so over there, and I'm hungry. Look, my biggest concern for you is that you'd rush out of here and your regret would be that you didn't respond in this moment. I know it won't be everybody, but I'm sure it's somebody that the spiritual transformation that you need to take today is to take a step of faith, the physical response, come and kneel at this altar and say, Jesus, I give my regrets to you. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I say amen, if that's you, don't hesitate. 
you come and find your way to kneel down here towards the center and we're gonna pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, thanks for how your word has spoken to us today. Lord, and I know right now you're stirring in some people's hearts that this is a hinge moment in their lives. Something, something's gonna turn today because they're gonna, they're gonna hand those regrets over to you. Lord, thank you that we have hope in the grace of Jesus Christ. And we know that even at just the mention of your name, you're here today. And so, Lord, would you do a work in our lives in these moments? In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to hand your regrets to him, step out of your seat and come to the front. And let's pray together. one of us, you're, you're with us right here. 
even in the midst of the regrets that we may have carried for so long. Lord, I, I pray for each one that's, that's taken this step of faith. It's taken a moment to kneel in your presence and say, God, I need to give these regrets to you. Lord, I need to hand over to you in a life-changing way those decisions, those choices, those things that I've done, those things that have been done to me. Lord, I give those to you. Lord, I put those regrets before you. And in this moment, I repent and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would show them that what you are working out in their lives is so much bigger than their regret. It's so much bigger than the things that they've been carrying. And that, Father, in the midst of this, you have called them to shepherd and to lead and that you will move their future forward based on that calling that you've put in their lives. And, Father, for those who feel like there's no hope, who feel like they've missed out or that, that, that this, this is too good to be true, would you show them that you can take what's in ashes and make it beautiful, that by your grace, because of what you've done for us, Father, would you give them hope today? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, for those of you that are down here, and maybe even for some of you that are, that are listening or watching online, let me encourage you with just two things. One is this, like what's really important is for some of you, as you've entrusted something to the Lord, what he wants you to do is not only forget what's behind, but that you've got to press ahead. So that may mean that there's something that has to be made right. Like just because a regret was in the past doesn't mean that there's not steps you have to take about that in the future. Does that make sense? Right. So there may be some reconciliation that needs to happen or there may need to be some forgiveness or there may be something that needs to change in your life that you can't expect it's just gonna pick up because you walked away from here. God did his work today and he's taken that regret. But at some point we have to do our work as well and take those next steps. So as you leave your regret here, don't leave your initiative here. You forget, but you press on. Now, the other thing is this, though, that for some of you, you're going to walk away from this altar and you're almost going to hit the aisles and then you're going to pick the regret back up and put it in your pocket. Or you might just swing by the church tomorrow and come back in here and pick it up again. Right? You left it for a little while, but it's so easy for us to pick up that regret again. You know who would love for you to do that? The enemy of your soul. And he'd love for you to fall asleep in the midst of this when you need to recognize, God, I've given this regret to you. Now I'm going to move on from here. And you remember what, what Paul wrote, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when the enemy wants to come back to you about those regrets, you left them here. And he's going to help you to move on from there. Father, thanks for this day and for your word. Thanks for the way that you speak to us, the way that you lead us, the way that you direct us. Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have done something of eternal significance in lives in these altars today. And so, Lord, as we, as we go from here, would you continue your work of grace and of power in our lives? Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you that are here at the front, you stay for as long as you want and continue to pray. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday.